0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Saturday podcast. Because it is always College Football Saturday in our house. I'm Serena, better known as S. George at R. on Twitter,
1: and I'm Matt, also at Matt seven two three.
0: We made it eleven zero and eleven zero. It's happening.
1: Football Armageddon 2.0, point zero. I'm we not.
0: Are. I'm not ready. I'm not emotionally stable enough for I'm this. Almost a week. I'm not going to be ready ever. As long as I live, I'm not going to be ready. Well, that's fair. So I think we should talk about how we got here, and then we'll spend the rest of our time talking about what we know is on the forefront of everybody's minds, which is the impending showdown with Ohio State. And I think we can't start talking about the Illinois game without talking about Blake Corum, our beautiful, beautiful, perfect, amazing, wonderful running back. Please be good.
1: Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere in the stadium, especially in our seats, but pretty much everywhere, it was just, you could just feel this, like, dread slash devastation of, like, oh, God, no, this can't be happening. And, I mean, I guess the good news there is it sounds like, I mean, Harbaugh's report is that the knee is, quote-unquote, structurally sound, I believe was the wording, which... Is good. I mean that I think we all feared the worst when we saw him go down holding his knee without any like significant contact to it. And he let go
0: of the ball.
1: Right, like, he drops the ball instantly. He, yeah. Obviously the uh the kind of surrounding situation there, like all of his reactions to it implied the worst case scenario there. And it doesn't sound like that's come to fruition. I mean he was walking around delivering turkeys today like the wonderful human being that he is. <laughs>
0: Which yeah, by the way, I mean just mad props to Blake Corum for being generally awesome, like as a human. That's such a cool thing to do. It's really incredible that that's what he takes his time to do the week weekend before the biggest game of the year. Like just just respect, you know? Like what a cool what a cool guy. But yeah, I you know I, I can't remember. I was not in the stadium for the great punt drop fiasco of twenty fifteen but I don't know what you're talking about. I <laughs> I can't I was told that like, except for the Spartan fans who were cheering, that like the air got sucked out of that stadium really, really quickly and that it was exactly it. It felt like nobody could breathe. I, I genuinely like collapsed into my seat. Like I immediately turned around and like, I have those seat cushions on our seats and like buried my face in the seat cushion. And Matt is like despondent. He's mumbling under his breath and he goes, this game doesn't matter. It didn't matter. It never mattered. This is the one thing that we couldn't have happen in this game. It doesn't matter. And, and that's right. I mean, 11-0 and versus 11-0 and is nice, but ultimately, if you go win in Columbus, it doesn't matter. Whoever wins in Columbus, whatever they did this week was irrelevant, whether that right. was Michigan or Ohio State. Kind of. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about the results of the other games, because it might be relevant that Michigan did manage to pull this game out against Illinois, but all we can do is cross our fingers and hope that Blake Corum looks like any version of himself—a reasonable version of himself—as we head to Columbus in six days.
1: Right. We obviously don't have a lot of clarity on that at this point. My expectation is that—I mean, if they say it's structurally sound and he says I'll be back, like I expect he'll be in uniform, yeah, and I mean, that he it- will be on the field at some point early in the game. It's really just a question of, is he functional quorum, or is he just kind of out there as a shell of himself who can't really do the things he usually does? In which case, Michigan's chances look a lot less promising. (laughs) Right. I think that's a good sort of segue point, is the the it-didn't-matter point. Which, I just want to emphasize that Michigan went into this game sitting out Trevor Keegan, sitting out Luke Schoonmaker, sitting out Donovan Edwards... All of those guys we think are playable, are healthy enough that if the Ohio State game had been this past Saturday, they would have gone. They played without Mike Morris. This was clearly a game that the coaching staff didn't, I don't know if I want to say they didn't take it seriously, but they played this game with an eye toward keeping guys who were not 100% healthy enough for the Ohio State game that they optimized their chances of winning that game more than they cared about the chances of winning the Illinois game. And I I just think that that is important to remember in that I think Michigan's coaching staff looked at this game the same way they had for the last month, which is, it would be nice to win this game, and we can probably just grind it out and win this game playing vanilla and keeping the wraps on some of our guys who we need for Ohio State, because that's really where the eggs are in our basket, right? That's, it's the Ohio State game is going to be, that's our mountaintop. That's the thing we have to get to the top. We have to beat Ohio State. We have to win the Big Ten. Those are our goals. And everything leading up to that is just foreplay, basically. So when I think... I guess I saw a lot of people freaking out about the performance slash almost losing to a solid but not great Illinois team. Like, Michigan was a 17-point favorite in that game. But I just think the overreactions... Or I should say the reactions were largely overreactions because the game didn't really matter. I don't think Michigan took it very seriously in the way that they approached it with both personnel and general scheme uh, and preparation, basically, until the end when they had a chance to win and they realized, like, okay, we have a chance to win this game. We need to, like, do some things to actually try to win, right? But for three quarters, this was basically the vanilla game plan they ran against Michigan State, against Rutgers, against Nebraska, right?
0: Totally. And we noticed that from the very beginning. I mean... From like the earliest possible point, I mean, I think Illinois's first offensive possession, we're looking and you, you go, oh, that's weird. Brayden McGregor is out there.
1: In the second play, it was Derek Moore. It was they're just throwing guys out there, treating this like a, like any other random Big Ten game, getting guys, uh, you know, some young guys, some snaps. This is not a. A Penn State, Iowa, Ohio State situation where you're you're playing to win, basically.
0: Correct. I mean, they were experimenting from the time that this game was seven to nothing. Like in the after Correct. our very very first offensive possession, which we did march down and pretty methodically, you know, put that in. Even from the beginning, I mean, they're pulling Blake Corum at points because it was obvious that they were trying to lighten his load prior to the moment that he went down. Correct.
1: After that first series, most of the rest of his carries in the first half were like third. Uh, like second and short, third and short situations. Where high like, leverage. We, we want to get the first down, yes. High, high leverage, leverage situations. situations. And otherwise, it's, okay, Quorum trots off. We just got the first down. Now it's CJ Stokes time or Tavi Dunlap time. Like we're getting into the depths of the depth chart here because obviously Quorum's health is more important than the outcome of the game. And that was part of what made the injury so frustrating for me was like, I would rather have come out of that game with a loss than come out of that game losing McCarthy or Quorum and knowing that you just threw away the Ohio State game. Or I don't want to say threw it away, but your chances are drastically diminished. I don't think anybody would argue that point if you come out of that game without McCarthy or Quorum, and we don't know exactly what Quorum's status is. Again, hopefully he'll be at least mostly himself, and we won't really look back and <laughs> and, and dread that moment any longer than we had to in the stadium. But uh, again, it, it just it didn't really matter, and when people were saying well, you can't beat Illinois at home by two points and then expect to go beat Ohio State. Like, this Michigan team can't beat Ohio State. That was not the Michigan team that's going to be playing in the horseshoe next Saturday. It's not going to be one without Corum, without Edwards, without Keegan, without Schoonmaker. Like, everybody who can possibly play is going to. And and so you just can't try to, like... It, it's, the transitive property doesn't apply here. You can't no. look at a, a half a Michigan team playing Illinois and say well that Michigan team can't beat Ohio state cuz it's not the same team.
0: Right, I mean when you're talking about 22 uh, like starters, right, on either side of the ball and you held out like a quarter of them or more. I right. mean like that's not real. It's not real. So I I'm with you there. And uh, again, on a lot of—one of, of Chase—I think Chase Brown's—one of his touchdowns, I can't remember exactly which one. Like, the linebackers in are like Jimmy Rolder. And, and I, like, Kalel
1: Mullings. Like,
0: they're just— They're
1: just rotating guys in.
0: The, right. Reps. They're just fucking around at this point. And, like, you, they're not—they're obviously not going to play it this way. We all know this. So trying Correct. to make extrapolations from it— is a little nonsensical, and we're going to talk about Ohio State's game against Maryland, and we're going to make the same point. I think trying to extrapolate from their performance against Maryland is also foolish. So it happened. Nothing about what happened, I think, really has that much bearing on the game except Coram's health and the wide receivers, which we've talked about at length again.
1: Right. I think this was just further sort of reiteration of the point that has been built over the past about month now which is the receivers are struggling sometimes to get separation sometimes to catch balls they should be catching i didn't think jj was super sharp but he certainly played better than his numbers for the third straight week that's just become a recurring theme where it's like there are plays to be made and guys just aren't making catches that that could or should be made and that's very clearly something that just is a, a Feature of this team at this point. I mean, you can call it a bug or it's not really a feature in the positive sense, but it's just something. They're snake that is, bit.
0: The receivers are a little snake bit. I feel like
1: they're snake bit, but also, I mean, I think after 11 games, when we've seen that come up pretty frequently, against, it's who they are. Right. It's kind of who they are. The the passing game is, if not a weakness, at the very least, the biggest concern for this Michigan team right now. And, and like you said, we'll talk about that more as we get into the Ohio State game, but. Matt was about ready to
0: throw me through a window yesterday because (laughs) we come back from this game, we're like watching the rest of of the day's events kind of unfold, and every single time a receiver goes up to make a contested catch, my ass is like, I wish we had a guy that could do that and Matt's like Serena you've said this 19 times today <laughs> like but you I, have
1: to stop <laughs>
0: you have to stop please but like literally every time I'm watching this South Carolina game in which Spencer Rattler and the South Carolina receiving like core yards. go for like a gazillion yards and there's contested catch after contested catch I'm watching USC and UCLA and this barn burner and it's the same thing and I'm like our receivers, the ball hits them in the hands and they don't catch it. Like, like what the fuck is going on in Ann Arbor, Michigan? It was it was just annoying. And Matt was like, literally, he was like, okay, Serena, I, understand. I got it. <laughs> Please stop. I'm going to throw you through a window. He didn't actually say that.
1: I didn't say that part, no.
0: But, but he was like, I get it.
1: But no, it's obviously a weakness for the team at this point. And that just is what it is as it relates to the offense right now. Now, if we go into Columbus and we hit one or two deep shots win that game, then... Nobody's going to care. None of this is going to matter, right? Because we're 11-0. We have a weakness. If that weakness gets mostly negated or negated enough in the biggest game of the year, that's all that matters, right? So right. it's it's a kind of a small sample size thing. And uh, yeah, hopefully we get uh, a little bit of the swing back in the right direction against Ohio State, but it is hard to have confidence in that part of the ball right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. And they did have a chance in this game to make some plays, they weren't always made, particularly that drive where we could have had a go-ahead touchdown. I mean, there was like the gash drop.
1: Yep, that one was pretty bad.
0: It was so, so bad. And then he missed Colson Loveland. JJ missed Colson Loveland on the next throw. That's right. It felt like Loveland got a little bit... He got chipped on his way kind of into his route, and it slowed him up. And I think JJ probably needs to like wait just a half second longer before he lets go of that ball um, to make sure that it... You know Loveland is like through.
1: Yeah, that was the- one that JJ. is probably on JJ. You could say he threw it a little bit inaccurately, too far outside of him, or he needs to wait a second longer. But I also give JJ. Right, a he
0: threw bit it of- outside of him. I think because Loveland got chipped, and he expected yes, right. him to be there more quickly than he actually was. But it feels like if you're the quarterback, like you 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 have the time. I don't think he was like under pressure, or under fire, or anything. Like just right. wait the half second and complete that.
1: Yeah. But he didn't get a lot of help from his receivers either. Like we were just talking about him. That play never probably should have happened because Isaiah Gash almost certainly has a walk-in touchdown on the play before if he catches the like the little flip from three yards away that was right in his hand. So it was, uh, yeah, I, don't, I like I said, I didn't think J.J. Did was super sharp, but it felt a lot to me like the last couple of games where it was like, eh, he wasn't great, but his numbers were worse than they should have been. But I, I will say, I mean, it, you called it out that the passing game was put in a situation they've not been in all year, which is it's late in the fourth quarter. Coram and Edwards aren't there. The passing game really has to go win the game. And they had two possessions where they had to get points or had to get a touchdown. You know, either two field goals or a touchdown, basically. That was the situation they were in when they were down, um, what was it, 17 to 13, right, in the final...
0: That's right, yeah. ...the final
1: few minutes. And they got a big punt return from Ronnie Bell that helped. Obviously, that put him in position to to get the field goal the first time to get within one, but especially the second time, um, you know, JJ moved him down the field. He threw that beautiful out ball to Roman, Roman Wilson, where uh, Devin Witherspoon grabbed his arm, pulled his arm back. If not for that, it would have been about a twenty yard completion, and they got fifteen on it on the PI flag. And then he hits uh, he hits Isaiah Gash right on the the fourth and was it fourth and two, fourth and three.
0: Yeah, I think that's right.
1: The little out route. That uh, Brett Bielema threw a fit about after the game. We'll we'll laugh about him in a minute. But. Yeah,
0: shut the fuck up, Brett Bielema. <laughs> shut up.
1: But yeah, I mean they had to make some plays and uh, and they made them. You know, and made enough of them. It wasn't uh, it wasn't picture perfect. You know, it wasn't a Tom Brady two minute drill to win the Super Bowl. Like it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't always crisp and clean and as uh, as efficient as you'd want in those situations. But they did enough, and I think having the chance to be in that situation with JJ out there with the ball in his hands and hey, kid, go win the game. Um, It's not a bad thing. Like He did enough there and made enough plays where I think that there's probably something good to be said about that going forward.
0: Yeah, I agree. I like the idea that he will not be in a high pressure fourth quarter situation for the first time all year in Columbus in six days. That is, is a little less than ideal in some ways. (laughs) Right. Like a little bit of like a forge through the fire, like iron sharpens iron, like insert cliche here type of situation. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. We've, we've talked the receivers issue into the ground like time and time again and ronnie bell basically acknowledged it in the post game i mean yep. he said something along the lines of there's still meat on the bone there in the passing game and yeah, you they can tell it. they know they know and part of me wonders if that's a problem like are they in their heads a little yeah it's you possible
1: know? but you could send some frustration there where he said like we, we've known it for a while that there's a lot of meat we're leaving on the bone and you know they, they get it like the dropped passes, the the plays that are there to be made, um, even if they're not perfect throws or when there's a guy there in decent coverage, but you could still make the catch. I think the receivers feel that a little bit, and hopefully that comes through for the better against Ohio State. You know that they step up and, and make a couple of those plays, and it's you know just sheer determination and like knowing that they're in the moment and they have the chance that they, like I said, they can come through and sort of redeem themselves on the stage that matters most this season. Um, but is it possible that they're in their heads (laughs) to a point where it's actually problematic and it's only going to uh, kind of exacerbate the existing problem? I I don't think we know the answer to that. We're not going to know that until Saturday at 4 p.m.
0: Oh, I'm not going to make it to Saturday at 4 p.m. I'm literally not (laughs) going to survive. How am I supposed to do this? How did you old people do it in 2006? Oh, fuck, I don't even
1: know. Whiskey, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Oh, but before we move on, yeah, we do need to call out that Brett Bielema was complaining. What in the, a
0: little... Okay. He's
1: on Twitter, like, uh, posting the clip of the fourth and two conversion to Gash, where Colston Loveland got kind of a pick route, where he and the defensive back are engaged with each other. Yeah,
0: but they're engaged with each other. Yeah. So it's like, shut up. Oh my God.
1: He's posting the clip on Twitter saying, you know, highlighting what happened here and Just to the Illinois fans and blah blah blah. Like, just know we will work to defend this play, especially on fourth down. Like, he's very clearly, like, passive aggressively calling out this play as a pick play, which honestly, I I wouldn't really argue if they called that a pick play. I think it was borderline. But also, my God, right? They're
0: engaged with each other, and that's the reason it's borderline. Like, correct. If Loveland, like, just goes and picks that guy. But, like, the defensive back engages him first. like Correct. it's like, And
1: it's not that defensive back who is trying to get out on gash. It's the guy to the inside who gets right. picked he off Right, he ran into his defensive. own
0: guy. Correct. Like, that happens all the time. And so, ultimately, like, if you want to call that fine, I don't have a problem with you calling it. But, but, let's talk about the officiating for a half fucking <laughs> second, Brett Bielema, <laughs> because, number one, number one, there was the, like, 40-ish yard completion to Roman Wilson that gets negated by the universe's weakest holding call. Like, it is a hold. It's a hold. I'm not going to argue that it is not a hold. But it is the kind of hold that goes uncalled on every single play of every single game all the time. Correct, the only <laughs> reason it gets called is because it's, like, on the outside and it's it's more visible right. than they typically are. But, like, no, that was the weakest hold. And then there's, like...
1: That wasn't even the worst one. I mean, I thought there were two much more egregious ones. First of all, the Coram play, right, where he goes down and he loses the ball. They blow the whistle as he goes down. Andrel Anthony's standing there, doesn't do anything because he's looking at Coram and the whistle's already blown. And then Illinois recovers the ball. And despite the whistle having been blown, they give Illinois the immediate recovery while Andrew Anthony's standing there after the whistle is blown, not participating in the fumble recovery. Like, I don't know what would have happened. But I don't think you can blow the whistle, watch a guy and stop And then playing. unblow
0: the whistle. Correct. Stop and then say, "Oh,
1: well, actually, what happened after that matters, because Illinois recovered the ball and gets possession of the ball. And you, Like, given the field position there with Michigan, I think... Uh,
0: We're in scoring Corham position. Went down in
1: between the 10 and the 15-yard line. I don't remember exactly where that play ended. Yeah. But those are points on the board with Jake Moody, right? Three points at least, if not seven, if you punch it in. So those are points off the board that... At the end of the game, we're looking at those and saying, fuck, it'd be nice to have those three points right now because that might be the difference in the game. And then the other bad one was when Michigan had the fourth and six, right? Right. Uh, Early in the second half where the Illinois player kind of jumps into the neutral zone. It's borderline, but his foot is in the neutral zone based on where the black line is, which I know they're saying on TV, like, well, you can't go off the black line, but I'm looking at the TV and the black line is right in line with the ball. So the guy's foot is in line with the ball, which means he is in the neutral zone. J.J. sees him jump. They snap the ball, and they run the all-fly routes offside play, thinking it's a free play. He bombs it downfield, and this is the, the terrible Andrew Anthony drop, right? It should have been a touchdown, no question, because it's a perfect ball, maybe J.J.'s best deep ball of the season. Puts it right in his hands, in between the corner and the safety at the goal line, and Anthony just drops it, which, sure, officiating doesn't have anything to do with that. That's a play that should be made. But also... If you call the offsides correctly, like there's no flag that comes out, right? If you call the offsides correctly, Michigan's in fourth and one, which has been damn near automatic for most of the year. And even if you don't go for it, you're in field goal range. At fourth and six, they probably weren't into the wind, but we saw Moody make a 46-yarder later in the game. And this would have been, I think, just slightly shorter than that if they'd gotten the five-yard penalty. So again, you probably took points off the board for Michigan on two separate possessions, even if you discount the holding call, which like, sure, it's a judgment call. And if you want to say it's holding, like, I I get it. But man, th- there were several situations, right? In this game. So Extremely shut up, high leverage situations. So Brett
0: Bielema, shut up, right. shut up. <laughs> you got it bad. That so did we. Welcome to the show. Shut up. Yeah, Have I you? Mean, that's
1: the story of Big Ten. Are
0: you eating. are you new to football? Is this your first? I remember my first beer, Brett. <laughs> like what the fuck are you? It was annoying. I was so annoyed by it. I could not deal. That's like fan level chirping on Twitter from your head coach. And like I get it, Jim amazing, Harbaugh so honest, isn't. Like, it, Jim Harbaugh isn't exactly like you know the patron saint of officiating but like <laughs> but like it whatever miss miss me with that bullshit like stop it
1: yeah no, one other thing then before we move on and then
0: Mike Hart trolled his tweet which was
1: very funny oh, I didn't even see that what did oh Mike my Hart god say? so
0: like he took the exact format of like Bielema's tweet and he like mimicked it to the t about like I'm sorry to the Michigan fans like we will work to like improve but he like totally mirrored the language of Bielema's tweet Mike
1: Hart's such a good troll yeah that's why
0: Blake Corum and Mike Hart are you know (laughs) are like kindred spirits they're they're the best um but yeah Mike Hart totally he like trolled it on Twitter was great um
1: but the other thing we just have to talk about a little bit before we move on is Jake Moody
0: yeah more giving yeah. that man his flowers. Money
1: Moody. Like, I know we've talked about a few times this year, just because having an automatic kicker is such a, a convenience on a it's good a, team. It's a
0: luxury. It's a luxury.
1: It's a luxury. In Even game, Alabama yeah.
0: sometimes has, like, shitty kickers. Oh, like,
1: Alabama for a long time had shitty kickers. Correct. That was their, They're like, that that was their was Achilles like heel. Their
0: Achilles heel, yeah. yeah. Like It's like, you're Bama. You're a behemoth, like, total juggernaut. But also, you can't kick field goals. It's very funny.
1: Well, we kind of take Moody for granted, and part of that is that especially this year, the games haven't been very close, so the field goals have been pretty, like, low leverage, I guess. But obviously not the case in this game, (laughs) where you needed all four field goals to win, and especially the last one. I mean, you go out there in brutal wind and cold, and he's just fucking ice in his veins, nails it right down the middle. It was, like, I think we need to acknowledge... And it's kind of easy to say this because, like, he was the Groza Award winner last year. But, again, the fact that we kind of take him for granted makes it easy to overlook the fact that Moody, I think, is pretty clearly the best kicker in Michigan history. He's probably going to win back-to-back Groza Awards. He just, with the last field goal in that game, became Michigan's all-time leader in field goals. In that game, he passed both Remy Hamilton and then Garrett Rivas for Michigan's career field goals made record. And And, and then at the end of the game, he's sitting up there saying... You know, it's senior day. This is so magic for me. This is the first game winning field goal I've ever kicked in my life. And just to think about having, to think about a guy having the chance to end his Michigan Stadium career like that after the career that he's had, it was a pretty perfect ending to a pretty disgusting and kind of (laughs) like uninspired game that, again, it didn't really matter that much. But in the moment with him out there, it felt like it mattered a lot. And I'm sure it mattered a lot to him. So that was just a really, cool kind of poetic ending.
0: Yeah, I'm happy for him. I wish we didn't have to win the game that way, but sure. I'm happy for him. Yeah, good for you. And yeah, that's really high pressure. It is extraordinarily high pressure, and he nailed it. I think there's another team in the state of Michigan that might uh really, really like to have him. We'll talk about them later, <sighs> because that shit was hilarious.
1: Yeah. but Again, it's felt like a luxury, but you get in a game like this and you understand just how uh, just how important it is so just wanted to give some props to jake moody on his senior day for uh, you know contributing 12 of the 19 points in that game none of them easy given the conditions like no. he was he, he's he got to be the mvp of that game if you're if you're giving yeah, out game, game balls ball. or whatever
0: <laughs> totally and we were there when they were doing the senior day announcements like when they read off all the parents' names and stuff before the team came out and touched the banner and Jake Moody got, like, absolutely one of the loudest cheers of the whole thing. Like, it was him should. and Ronnie Bell and, like, you know, some of the guys that have been around have, like, extended – Mikey, Sanders like, people who have had extended ten years, But, you know, in true B1G fashion, some <laughs> of the loudest cheers went to the kicker and the punter. And we love that for them.
1: We love our special teams.
0: Um, but Moody definitely did. He got one of the loudest cheers in the stadium um, at – when they did the senior day stuff,
1: and it turned out to be deservedly so, yeah, given the very way that appropriate. Game <laughs> it was great to see. So I, I think that pretty well covers it against Illinois. I mean, it was just uh, it was an ugly game. That just reiterating, uh, there's not that much you can take away from it in terms of personnel, in terms of what Michigan was doing schematically, in terms of what Illinois was doing versus what Ohio State's going to be doing. There is so little of it that I think is going to be relevant. We're not going to spend that much more time on it.
0: And I want to make a point about this because we're about to start talking about Ohio state. And one of the things that I think is important to note here is I used to do this, right? I used to spend some time when Michigan, especially in like the Hulk tenures where I would be like, man, this play calling sucks. And it's really uninspired. These offenses are super uninteresting and bad. And Maybe they have something interesting in the bag for Ohio State. Maybe they have something interesting in the bag for Ohio State. And I would get my hopes up about this, only for us to have nothing interesting in the bag against Ohio State and mostly look like shit. And I'm, I wasn't as smart a football observer then as I am now, but one of the things that is blatantly obvious to me is if we had that stuff, if we had it at all, it was getting used in earlier games because Michigan was garbage and needed some of that special sauce to win games that were otherwise winnable, right? It's the Ohio State having to break out the Stroud runs to put Northwestern away. Like, that was happening to us much more often. when you're not that good,
1: you can't put a whole bunch of stuff on the shelf until Ohio State because you're going to lose a whole bunch of games in the the meantime.
0: (laughs) Right, I was not smart enough really to put that together. But, you know, this time, today... I do have faith that there is a lot of stuff on the shelf for Ohio State and the reason why is because I've seen it. Yep. And I've seen it for Michigan this year, right? I've seen things like what when was how many RPOs do we run a game? Like one like we don't we don't run them
1: I genuinely don't remember the last time we saw an RPO it might have been We
0: ran one in, against Nebraska right we got that wide open touchdown in the corner against Nebraska we If that, was an, that RPO, was an RPO that may have
1: been true play action it was kind of hard to tell that might have been an RPO but yeah it's been you know maybe one or two in the last month
0: Right where's where is the zone read what JJ keeper JJ design run they're turned yeah, if, off. If
1: the, right. If they are running zone own reads, they're reads that have been turned off. So they're not really reads at all.
0: They're not really. Re- what about the, you know, the arc with the double arc with the two pulling linemen, two pulling yeah, tight ends. I we haven't seen
1: that since Penn state,
0: like these plays, we know they exist. We've already ran them. And if they're on the shelf, they're on the shelf for a reason. And so it's not like blind speculation that leads me to believe there's stuff on the shelf It's because I've seen it. It's not a situation where I haven't seen Michigan do any interesting shit all year. And And I'm just hoping, crossing my fingers and sitting and hoping that this stuff will come out for the Ohio State game. No, I have actual, like, circumstantial evidence, like, actual reason to believe that this stuff exists and will come out. I've already seen it. I know it's there. Right. And so it really is hard for me to sit here and make a huge fuss about what happened in this Illinois game. I think... The receivers being able to come with, down with balls and Quorum's health are the only two things that happened in the Illinois game that I think matter to the Ohio State game at all. Right. Period. Full stop. Those
1: are the only things you can really take away as meaning something. Outside of that, there's just so little of it that matters. It's 11-0 Michigan, 11 Ohio State. Michigan, at the very least, probably Ohio State, has been saving all kinds of shit, obviously, since at least the Penn State game, if not longer. So, right, I I just don't think it matters very much, And, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. There was some other stuff that happened in college football that may turn out to be relevant. I'm talking about playoff implications here, right, where the door has been left more open or opened a little further than it looked like it was going to be a week ago. Because Tennessee, holy shit. Yeah, They got absolutely run off the field by Spencer Rattler in South Carolina, who I believe had scored six touchdowns in the prior month of SEC play and scored nine touchdowns on 10 possessions in that Tennessee game to put up 60. I
0: mean, I do want to say first and foremost, uh, best wishes to Hendon Hooker. I mean, we did get the news today that his ACL is torn. He went down and it was very obvious what happened. It was it was non-contact. It was when he planted it, it. We all know what that looks like. He went down right away. He also fumbled the ball in South Carolina. It recovered. looked very it, much
1: like the Corum situation, except except it is apparently a torn ACL. Except his, they got they,
0: their worst fears were realized for Tennessee, which it is just
1: brutal. I mean, he was having it like uh, a couple of weeks ago. It looked like he was maybe the Heisman front runner, and he's faded a little. Like now, maybe it's Stroud, or you know, maybe it's corn depending what happens in in Columbus, but. Just to see such a great season for him and for Tennessee... And like that is, is obviously pretty devastating from an individual standpoint.
0: It really is. And it, I don't think it had much impact on the game. I mean, I think Tennessee was already down 18 when right. this happened. They were driving, and ultimately the fumble on the injury set South Carolina up to go up 25, at which point that right. shit was over. But this was over. early fourth quarter
1: with South Carolina already up 18 and Tennessee being completely incapable of stopping them. So it, it wasn't, like you said, a deciding factor in the game.
0: But it still sucked. Yeah. But... You know, a two-loss Tennessee, because everybody has been kind of to this point, as they discuss playoff scenarios, operating under the assumption that Tennessee is going to go undefeated for the remainder of the season, and that they would be an 11-1 and Tennessee that gets left out of the SEC championship game in favor of Georgia, but can get in at 11-1, and just like Alabama did last year, Right. right? And now that is definitely no longer the case. I mean, not only did they lose... They got absolutely fucked by South Carolina. Like, just, it it was not competitive in the slightest.
1: It was truly one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen from, like, an actual team. Not a, like, Delaware State giving up 73 points to whoever, you know. (laughs) Right. This was an ass-kicking by a South Carolina team that's, frankly, not very good. I mean, they're okay. Obviously, they can do a little bit on offense, but again, they had scored six months in the pri- or uh, sorry six touchdowns in the prior month of SEC play, and the previous week lost thirty to six to Florida. Like this is not that good of a team that you should be getting run off the field. That but
0: they close. should be scoring like almost seventy points on right. you,
1: and you obviously can't lose a game like that and remain in playoff contention, especially with two losses. Well, we seen Oregon can, <laughs>
0: but at least they did for a while. Then they well, lost, and it wasn't relevant. But
1: especially a two loss team, yeah. that Tennessee is out of the equation at this point, which. Opens up the possibility a little further of the loser of Michigan Ohio State getting in. There are still a couple obstacles, which are mainly TCU, which squeaked by Baylor in very similar fashion to Michigan's win over Illinois with a last-second field goal, and looks pretty. They're in pretty good position to run the table here and get in at 13 and 0. They're going to play in a Big 12 championship game, which may be against. Kansas State, who's been kind of all over the place, but has looked very good in some games, that could be a, a real test for them. It, I think it could also be Baylor again, depending on how the last week plays I'm not sure. On I don't know what the Big 12
0: breakers. scenarios are like. It's TCU, and then they have a Big 10 West situation going on there, where there's a bunch of kind of middling teams that could make it out. Kansas State is,
1: I think, they're more dangerous to me than most of the Big Big 10 West teams because of what they
0: Well, no, but I just up. mean that there's like a, a logjam at the top of the like, there's oh, sure. a logjam of everybody that's behind TCU, essentially. It's not that, like, whoever is going to come out of there is a total non-factor, like whoever is going to come out of the Big Ten West. It's more that I think there's not a lot of separation between the remaining Big 12 teams that would be the potential challenger to TCU. That's all. That's the only comparison right. and, I'm making.
1: And whatever it is, TCU is going to be favored in the Big 12 championship game. So they look like they're kind of in the driver's seat here to to run the table and get into the playoff at 13-0. and After that... It's probably, like, the biggest competition for the loser of Michigan-Ohio State is going to be the Pac-12 champion. Mm-hmm. And UCLA, you mentioned that game, absolute shootout. Just <laughs> flamethrowers up and down the field on both sides of the ball with really zero defense fun to watch, but
0: no defense ever.
1: Right. USC survives 48-45. Extremely fun game. And in the process, probably keeps the Pac-12's playoff hopes alive. USC's challenge here is that they still have a couple pretty big tests left. They have Notre Dame this Saturday, and then they have the Pac-12 championship game against probably Oregon, if Oregon beats Oregon State in the Civil War could also potentially be Utah or Washington. If Oregon loses, then a bunch of tiebreakers come into play, and we'll see how that plays out. A but,
0: Utah team that already beat USC this year. Correct. But in kind of controversial fashion. So,
1: But Utah and or- Oregon to some extent, Utah to a greater extent, are the two Pac-12 teams that play some defense. So that could be an actual test for USC. Whatever. I mean, I
0: actually think Notre Dame is going to be an actual test for USC. Oh, oh, agreed. Notre Dame is starting to figure it out. They scored forty-four points on Boston College. I know Boston College is ass, it, but College at the beginning of awful. the year, it didn't. Notre Dame couldn't score points on Marshall. So, like, yeah. you know, that's that's a much imp- and they they shut them out. Notre Dame plays defense. Say what you will, but and you know, Lincoln Riley and company haven't seen a defense all fucking year. So like I think that Notre Dame game could be really interesting um, for yeah, for USC. They agreed. They ha- they're the biggest threat to us, but they also have the toughest remaining path. I think of anybody who is trying to get in in this fashion. Correct. So. It could happen. It could. We were rooting for UCLA. It was in Michigan's interest to root for UCLA last night. That did not work out for us. But
1: it might be in our interest to root for uh, Notre Dame next week. But gross. fortunately, that game is after the Michigan game, so we can decide. We'll our figure out. In the yeah, interim. we'll know.
0: And and here's a question: Do you think Clemson still has a viable path? Because we're still talking about a one-loss Clemson. They did yeah. get like waxed by Notre Dame. Like that was not competitive. And now it looks like their best, the the highest odds are that they'll play North Carolina for the ACC title game. And North Carolina, North Carolina who just uh,
1: lost to Georgia Tech. So right.
0: They, that win looks really diminished. That win is now a low quality win for Clemson instead of a high quality one, meaning that Clemson has like literally no good wins.
1: Right. I mean, probably their best win is going to end up being.
0: Florida God, State? I don't
1: know, NC State, maybe Florida State. I'm not sure. It's
0: All of those are lower quality than most Big Ten wins, and especially Michigan's win over Penn State, which continues Correct. to look really impressive as Penn State continues to beat the brakes off of basically everybody else in the Big Ten.
1: Correct. I think there's a couple other scenarios that Michigan w- would have to worry about if they lose to Ohio State. One is, uh, well, I already said if TCU wins out, they're getting in. Clearly, there's no question. Yeah, they're going to be that.
0: the two behind Georgia,
1: USC certainly if they go 12 and 1 with a Pac-12 championship and wins over UCLA, maybe Oregon, Notre Dame, like that's going to be a pretty good resume and with a conference championship. I think USC is pretty clearly in if they go 12 and 1. The other situations are I I do think Clemson is not out of the running necessarily. I don't think they're going to jump an 11 and 1 Michigan or Ohio State just because not only do they have a loss that's not impressive but they also don't have a lot of impressive wins, and just in general, they've not looked very good. I don't think I test anybody really thinks that Clemson is on the Michigan or Ohio State tier. So when they talk about trying to get the four best teams in the playoff, I don't think anybody is really going to think that Clemson is among the four best. But if it ends up being like Michigan or Ohio State, you know, the, the loser of that game loses in not particularly impressive fashion, I think Clemson re enters the conversation there and is seriously in the mix. Gross. The other one, I guess, would be 12-1 and TCU. Like, if TCU goes 12-0 and and then loses to Kansas State in a close game in the Big 12 championship, I, I kind of think the same thing as, as with Clemson, what I just said, basically, which is that TCU has a better resume than Clemson. They've been a little bit more impressive overall. But I don't get the sense that there's a ton of conviction with TCU having like needed to pull out a lot of close games against not particularly good teams. I don't think there's a ton of conviction around TCU. Being they're a top a l- they have
0: a little have bit a of a horseshoe up their ass in some ways. I think
1: that's the, at least the perception and, and the advanced numbers kind of bear that out and that they're mostly like seventh, eighth. They're not definitely not on the tier of Michigan and Ohio state. So it might come down to like how competitive those games are, but the pecking order for me at this stage goes, again this is past the top three so like obviously Georgia Michigan Ohio State winner TCU if they go 13-0 and like those are clearly cut the top three
0: mm-hmm.
1: after that it's 12-1 and USC I think they're clearly in if they run the table after that I think if USC loses the Michigan Ohio State loser probably gets in as long as it's a close game
0: and nobody gets... Nobody,
1: right. Uh, maybe if, you know, if there's some terrible injury and it's like, oh, that's not going to be the same team going for, like, sure, there are scenarios you could draw up where that team probably doesn't get in. But if it's a close game in Columbus, I think the loser is next in line with the USC loss. After that, I think it's a close call between a 12-1 and ACC champion, Clemson, and maybe a 12-1 and non-Big 12 champion, TCU. I, I, I don't think TCU gets in, honestly. So I'd probably go... 11-1 Michigan-Ohio State loser, then Clemson, then maybe TCU in the pecking order if, if shit hits the fan here and, and it gets really wild.
0: Let's avoid all of that by beating Ohio State. That would be great. <sighs> yeah. And
1: obviously, if Ohio State loses, then it's only fair and just that the Big Ten gets one team in and the loser gets left out.
0: Exactly. That's the only way.
1: A couple other games we should probably touch on real quickly. The Big Ten West, it's From- going to be fucking Iowa again.
0: Yeah, I it's whatever. That. I'm so over Iowa. I can't. They're I can't gonna talk score about them like anymore.
1: nineteen points this season and Kirk Ferentz is gonna be like, Well, I told you guys we made the Big Ten Championship again. We must be doing it right.
0: Complimentary football, Compl- baby. <laughs> Jesus.
1: Could could we be winning games if our offense wasn't so bad that our defense was out there mostly? It's it's god.
0: I mean, Iowa's best play is put the defense out there to generate picks. So I, I, mean, I guess it a, works. Another Kirk.
1: game, they go to Minnesota and they get out gained by 150 yards, and Minnesota turns it over three times inside the Iowa 30-yard line, including in the final minute, Minnesota's driving for the win. They get down inside the – I think they're at the Iowa 33. And with Mo Ibrahim Mo just grinding the Iowa defense and them marching the field – to set up the winning field goal, they run like an RPO. They throw a slant that gets, you know, the corner kind of makes a play on the ball, it gets tipped up in the air. Iowa picks it off and runs it all the way back to, it probably should have been a touchdown, actually. It looked like the guy didn't go out of bounds, but they rule him out of bounds. doesn't really matter because Iowa just kicks a field goal to win the game. And it's like, Minnesota, you don't have to do that. You don't have to throw the ball. This is what Iowa wants. This is their only hope. Right?
0: Don't like, let them do this. Why are you doing this? Yeah. It's, whatever. This is so, second week in a row. tiny brain <laughs> bullshit from PJ Fleck right here. Second
1: week in a row, Iowa gets outgained by a bajillion yards. Last week they did a uh, 146 yards, the same number Michigan had against Nebraska, and beat Wisconsin by two touchdowns. Then this week they.
0: You mean Nebraska had against Michigan? We definitely had more than 146 yards.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did I say that the other, yeah. other direction?
0: I was like, bestie, I don't think we won and that game. Nebraska with 146 had 146
1: yards. yards of total offense against Michigan. Iowa had the exact same number against Wisconsin and won 24 to 10. And then this week they go to Minnesota, get out game. All
0: right. I'm done talking about Iowa. Come anyway,
1: over Iowa's going to win the big 10 West, assuming they beat Nebraska on black Friday, which looks very likely because Nebraska is fucking terrible. The only other scenario here is Iowa loses and assuming Purdue beats Indiana, who's also pretty terrible. Purdue wins the, uh, the big 10 West. So it looks like it's going to be Iowa. Maybe something crazy happens and it's Purdue, but prepare yourselves for, uh, that uh
0: Iowa as cannon fodder 2.0. <laughs> All right. Well said.
1: Speaking of uh, Indiana,
0: <laughs> oh man, should we should we do this at the very end of the episode to cheer me up after the existential <laughs> dread that talking about Ohio State is going to cause? We should have some fun with it now, I think. Michigan State, bestie, like sweetie. So they blow a seventeen point halftime lead to this horrific Indiana team who wins this game while completing two passes in the whole fucking game. How do you lose to a team that completes two passes? And this is not a triple
1: option team. This is not where you're playing army or whatever and they just you know, forty-seven minutes of time of possession on fifty-six like this is Indiana.
0: We've seen how do you even blow a seventeen point like when you're down seventeen, all the conventional wisdom is like, okay, the run's off the table and now they have to start throwing the ball because they're they're playing against the clock Somehow. here and yet and yet they did it completing two pass. i can't believe this and then of course michigan state lines up for a potential game-winning chip shot like 22-yard field goal gets blocked yeah,
1: this is from the four yard line no that, this was the one they missed
0: i thought at, i got at the blocked. end of
1: regulation now michigan state just missed it god an absolute chip shot for it was a little bit of an angle but the kick was terrible like, uh, and this was kind of what you were referencing with uh, the someone Jake moody else kids. might
0: want a money moody in their Michigan lives. State
1: special teams have been fucking terrible this year, and this was just further evidence of that. So they go to overtime. Indiana actually had a, a chip shot field goal in overtime to win. Uh, at Is the that end of the first, one that was
0: blocked? Am I that's the one that was them? blocked? And then nonsense.
1: Indiana still ends up uh, you know p- taking control in the second overtime with a touchdown and a two point conversion, and, uh, and and winning 31 in a game which just to reiterate they completed two passes. So was it 39-31? 39-31, that's Jesus. right. So extremely it – was, it was a really fun sequence cost there. cost
0: Michigan State a bowl game because they're not going to go to Happy Valley and win.
1: That's right. They're now 5-6, and six and they go to Penn State to end the season with Penn State P- – Penn State may be playing for a Rose Bowl berth. If Michigan and Ohio State both end up in the playoff – like, they've got some serious, like, aspirations still in front of them if they win this game. New Year's
0: Michigan 6 State. is very yeah. much on the table for them. So
1: this is not going to be a game – like, a you know – pull your starters and let Sean Clifford have this farewell Like they're going to be playing to win this game and Michigan State is not going to Happy Valley and, and beating Penn State that's just not happening so, so that's the end of Michigan State's bowl enjoy
0: your holiday season Spartan <laughs> fans and Spartans
1: and get their early start on basketball Since oh they already they have and
0: frankly we don't, we don't want to we don't want to at them about basketball right now because yikes again results, results don't
1: matter until after this is a football season.
0: podcast yeah. yeah okay Ohio State time I think it's time Oh, okay, so I think what we've decided to do format-wise, or do we want to talk a little bit about their game versus Maryland first, I guess? We should
1: probably touch on that very briefly. I think I'm going to dismiss it in the same way I did the Illinois game, just because, well, first of all, Maryland stylistically is just so unlike Michigan. I mean, they're much more like an Ohio State offense, where they want to spread you out three and four receivers, let the quarterback make plays down the field. And the run game is kind of a sideshow that they use to keep you honest. And Ohio State struggled. Tagovailoa had a fantastic game, coming off maybe the worst game of his career, in which they lost thirty to nothing to Penn State two weeks ago. I mean, he mostly had his way with that Ohio State secondary in at least the first half. And then again in the fourth quarter, the third quarter wasn't good for Maryland. But uh, anyway, Ohio State struggled in the secondary. It was not a particularly good performance or a sharp performance offensively, which has been a bit of a theme for them, but I'll, I'll come back to that. In terms of outcome of this game and what Maryland did and how that applies, it, it really doesn't.
0: I mean, right, like this game was, cl- like, very close. I mean, Ohio State, Maryland has the ball with, like, a minute and something left That's driving right. with the opportunity to win this game.
1: Well, quote-unquote driving. They yeah. took possession at the – I think they started that drive at, like, the eight-yard line after they took a, a penalty on the kickoff.
0: Is that what happened?
1: And then Tagvilo got sacked. Twi- like the game just ended Im- immediately. He right. got sacked twice. One of which ended up being uh, like sort of bobbled up in the air and caught by uh, an Ohio State lineman who runs it in for a touchdown to, right. to put it away. To
0: put it away. Put so it, it wasn't away. really a
1: drive. But Maryland had the ball with a minute left and uh, Ohio State holding a six point lead. Like if Maryland drives the field and scores, which they looked very capable of doing based on most of the rest of that game, Maryland can win that game with a touchdown. So it was certainly a competitive game. Just, again, I don't think super relevant to what we're going to see next week in Columbus.
0: Yeah, unfortunately for all of us.
1: But I do want to come back to the point about how I said they were a little not super sharp on offense and had some issues elsewhere. I think we should just paint the picture a little bit of where these teams are at if you haven't watched a lot of Ohio State this year.
0: If this you're is... a Michigan fan, how have you? I've like <laughs> everything I do, I do with an eye towards what the fuck is going on in Columbus, Ohio, all the time. Like I watch every single one of their games as if they are my team's games. Yes,
1: yes. All but the not time. everybody's a hate watcher, so
0: I. It's not even like a hate watcher. It's like an awe watcher, like a fear <laughs> watcher. I'm like, my God, this is what's coming for me at the end of the year every year. I hate it so much. Yeah. I just want to play them in September, like, once.
1: <laughs> like, that would be wild. I don't, know, I, I don't know if I want that or not. I'm going to need to think on that one a little bit.
0: Listen, I feel like they're worse in, like, September and October, and then they, like, get their shit together. Yeah. That's when they lose to, like, Virginia Tech, and then by the end of the year, mm. they win the national championship. So, like, I don't know. Whatever. It is what it is, I suppose. Uh,
1: but, yeah, I just want to lay out a little bit of, of what, the, like, both of these teams are, really. Like, these teams are basically what they were last year. There's really not that much has changed. I I looked a little bit earlier at the uh, the SP Plus numbers. I was curious, where is Michigan at versus where they were at going into the Ohio State game last year? And where is Ohio State at? And I'm gonna read off a few numbers here and I'll try to do this in a a structured way so it's easy to follow since uh, there's gonna be a handful of numbers. But right now, Michigan on offense has a 35.9 rating. And again, that equates to Michigan would be expected to score 35.9 points on offense against a perfectly average FBS team. 35.9. Last year, at this time, going into the Ohio State game, that rating was 35.8.
0: So So they're the same.
1: Almost identical. With the slight caveat that, as we talked about before, Michigan has really put everything on the shelf since about Penn State. This has been a very vanilla last month for Michigan. Where they are clearly not optimally playing offense. So,
0: And that's reflected in their SP+. I mean they have tanked on offensive SP+. Over the last month. Like, yeah, all they've they dropped
1: do about 3.5 points. All the they do is deteriorate
0: in, on offensive SP+. You can tell it's coming for them. They don't give a shit what their SP+. rating is if they win the game this week. But Correct. It's, it's obviously manifesting itself in the numbers as well.
1: That's right. But before that. Uh, the rating was significantly high, about four points higher than it was last year. It's, it's trailed off some, still a little bit higher than it was last year, but functionally in the same area. On defense, Michigan has a, uh, a rating of 7.0. So against a hypothetically average FBS team, they would be expected to allow exactly seven points. Last year, going into the game, Michigan's rating on defense was 14.5. So over a full touchdown better than they were going into the Ohio State game last year. That's a meaningful difference. I'm Michigan's a little defense, skeptical,
0: but we'll talk about that.
1: Uh, sure. Haven't, haven't played Ohio State yet, <laughs> and there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of, uh, waiting of that game, but that's where we're at. Ohio State last year was, I'm sorry, right now, is a 44.0 on offense.
0: Gross. Jesus Christ.
1: It's pretty good. Last year they were a 47.2.
0: So they've dropped off
1: about three points on offense. On defense, last year they were at a 12.3. Or No, I'm sorry, this year they're at a 12.3. Last year they were at 17.9. So similar to Michigan, they've improved by about a touchdown. Michigan's improved a little bit more, but Ohio State has taken, at least to this point, a meaningful step forward relative to where they were at this point last year. So both teams, you've got a little bit of improvement on defense, functionally the same offense. And that's kind of my overall takeaway here. It's like, Ohio State's going to pass the ball. They're going to have an elite passing game. The run game, nah, not very good. And they can't really get into a game in the trenches where you know they want to run, they know they want to run, and they can successfully do it. Haven't shown the ability to do that against anybody.
0: Except Indiana, but sure.
1: I, I, yeah, I guess against Indiana.
0: I'm not gonna I'm not gonna count running well on Indiana for very much <laughs> moving on.
1: Right. On the flip side, the defense is obviously the lesser of the two sides of the ball for them. Right? I mean, it's improved, but certainly the lesser part. They've had some issues against Penn it State. It would be
0: hard for the defense to be better than that offense. That's
1: fair, that's fair. But they had some issues against Penn State. Penn State put up big numbers, much bigger than they put up against Michigan. Really outplayed Ohio State in that game. We saw it from Maryland. Maryland moved the ball pretty consistently, mostly through the air, which you can debate how relevant that is for Michigan. But again, it's the lesser of the the two sides of the ball. Michigan, we know what they are. like. They want to run the ball. They want to run the ball 40 times. They want to pull linemen. They want want to make this trench warfare. And, And they will, for the most part. And they're going to be better at it than you. The passing game is still a question mark at best. I mean, somewhere between weakness and uncertainty at this stage after what we've seen in the last month. The defense is one of the top five to ten in the country. I mean, if you go off SP+, they're fourth right now. And a touchdown better than last year with a defense that held Ohio State in check in a way that we didn't really see anybody else do all of last year. This is not really a mystery about what these teams are or what they want to do in this game or how they're going to play this game. And I heard a little clip from, uh, I don't know if if y'all are on Twitter, you've probably seen, there's Andy Staples who covers college football nationally and Ari Wasserman, who is uh, an unabashed Ohio State homer slash former Ohio State writer, who is like the co-host of the podcast with Andy Staples. And I saw a clip that he laid out, again, obviously coming from the Ohio State sort of filter. And he said, on one hand, I look at this game and I look at Michigan and I see their passing game and the issues they have. J.J. McCarthy is not that dude yet. And Ohio State's run defense does look better. How much better? I don't know. We're going to find out. But it looks better. And if it's better enough so that Michigan can't just run the ball down Ohio State's throat, from what we've seen of McCarthy, or you know, if you want to put it more on the receivers, but of the passing game in general, it's very hard to see Michigan keeping up with Ohio State's offense and winning this game. And I think that's fair. What he said next was, on the other hand, I've watched Ohio State for quite a while, now, for most of the season, frankly, play, quote-unquote, grab-ass football. And I think he's talking about soft football and not being very sharp. And that flows through a lot of the different areas of, of their team. You know, C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison can do a, a lot of things, but when your lines are kind of soft and you have some issues in the secondary, and like, there's enough things there that you know he, he termed it grab-ass football, which I, I interpret to mean kind of soft football. And he said, I've watched this team play grab-ass football for most of the season. And at some point, there's the saying, when someone tells you who they are, believe them. And it might be time to believe that Ohio State is a grab-ass football team. And I think that's, that pretty well sums it up, honestly. Like, if Michigan can run the ball like they have against literally everybody else on the schedule, and Ohio State hasn't improved enough on that defensive line or in that front seven... I don't know that that much else matters. Like Michigan can and probably will win the game if that's the case because they couldn't stop Michigan for shit last year. And this Michigan run offense is better with J.J. fully activated and he's going to be fully activated. And on the flip side of the ball, if they can, like if they can hold Michigan in check to even four yards a carry and J.J. has to put up 250 yards and a couple touchdowns to win that game, I wouldn't bet on that happening from what we've seen for a while. I don't think it's impossible. But... I'd be with him in saying that I have a pretty hard time seeing Michigan be able to play that game and match up against Ohio State that way. That's not really Michigan's path to victory here, I don't think. And so it's like this feels a lot like what we were saying going into last year. It's easier to believe now that Michigan can do it because we've actually seen them do it once. But in terms of what these teams want to do and what the questions are, it's not really that much of a mystery. No,
0: we know. We know. We know. And I think that leads me to the way that I want to talk about this game, which is I think the easiest way is to just take what we feel good about and what we don't feel good about and lay them out. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So we'll start. Should we start with the good or start with the bad? Your call. I almost want to end on the good. (laughs) All right. Let's start with the bad. We can do that. All right. So... I kind of tried to put them in order, but for me, if you're asking me what it is I feel bad about, our passing game is first. It hasn't shown much in a very long time. The receivers don't come down with balls they should catch. J.J. overthrows balls that are otherwise catchable a fair amount of the time, you know, wide open guys.
1: Especially down the field. He's been still, I think, extremely accurate. In um, the mid-range. 20 yards and under. yeah. But on the deep stuff, which you might need one or two of in this game, if you get those chances, you got to hit them.
0: Right. And so that is probably the thing I feel the worst about. I don't think we need to rehash the discussion about the receivers. That would be four straight. We already did it today. Like We don't need to do it for a second time today. Yeah, and It's, it's also it's a recurring issue. We've been doing it, it for four straight yeah. weeks. I'm, I'm over it. We all know, right? That, to me, is number one thing that I feel – Bad about. And the, one of the reasons I feel bad about it specifically is I don't actually think Ohio State's past defense is that good. I, I don't think, I'm a little skeptical of their defense on the whole. Yeah. But I don't think their past defense is very good. And it is going to be really annoying when we're not in a position to exploit it, if we're not in a position to exploit it. And that's the thing. Like that feels like an exploitable weakness for Ohio State. And the fact that I don't have any reasonable certainty that we are going to be able to exploit it is the number one thing that I feel bad about going into the game.
1: I think that's totally fair. I mean, that's a very obvious, like we were talking about earlier, like the obvious weakness or at best question mark for Michigan right now on both sides of the ball. And I I think the kind of follow-up question to that is we're going to find out how much they actually need. Like, we'll come back to this when we get to the good part, but we really haven't seen anybody stop or even really come close to stopping Michigan's run game in any meaningful way. Right. And we've played better run defenses than Ohio State's, in my opinion. I think Illinois and Iowa and, and maybe Penn State are all better than Ohio State in run defense.
0: I maybe, mean, maybe Penn State's wrong. like the best in the country if you take out the Michigan game. Yeah, I think like, I they're unbelievable. Fifth maybe in
1: the country in run defense if you take out the Michigan game and with it, they're like 26. Like yeah. it, it's a extreme We're destroying
0: outlier. their numbers. <laughs> Just
1: killing them. Right. So we've, I think, played better run defenses than Ohio State. So the question is, if Michigan can do what they have done on the ground to everybody else, literally everybody else, how much do you actually need from the passing game? If I'm not mistaken, last year in the second half, Michigan threw three passes.
0: Yeah, that was stop, not a game. Stop. K midi- K stop mitigating <laughs> my bads. This is for the better. The other part of the segment. <laughs> no, no,
1: totally understood. But it's a question of if Michigan can offset that with the ground game being as it's, as good as it's been all year.
0: It might not matter.
1: Right, a game where JJ goes thirteen for twenty one for. 180 yards may actually be enough to win. If the completions come at the right time in high leverage situations, if they put the ball in the end zone, in the red zone, like this is a game that JJ probably doesn't have to win, but if he does, then yes, that's a major question mark. Uh, Again, question mark at best, (laughs) if not an outright concern. So. All right. Do you want to hit us with
0: number two?
1: Sure. I can, I can hit on number two. This one was yours. And this one is also pretty straightforward, which is just the flip side of the passing game, Ohio State is an elite passing game. There's no question about it. Part of that is C.J. Stroud. Part of that is Marvin Harrison Jr. A lot of it is scheme. No matter how you want to cut it and try to allocate, you know, is Marvin Harrison more impactful than C.J.? Like, I don't think it really even matters. For the vast majority of the year, Ohio State's had the number one offense, SP plus, in the country. I think they're maybe just a percentage point behind Tennessee now, but whatever. Like, This is a dominant passing game that's probably the best in the country. Like Again, pending uh, your opinion on Tennessee and, and Caleb Williams at USC, like, this is an elite offense. Almost all of it is in the passing game. And in 2022 football, an elite passing game is more differentiating for an offense in terms of quality than an elite rushing game. Your elite passers average like 9, 10 yards an attempt. Blake Corum is the best running back in the country. He's not averaging 10 yards an attempt. That just That's not a thing. Right. The ability to move the ball with the efficiency and the explosiveness, both of those things that Ohio State has, is what makes their offense one of the best, if not the best in the country year in and year out. Now, again, I'm going to caveat that a little bit by saying on Michigan's side, I think the secondary is better than it was last year. D.J. Turner is one of the best corners in the country. Mikey Sainristilla still has turned into a draftable, legitimately good slot guy. At the other corner, you've got Jemmin Green and Will Johnson. like they have a lot of really good options, especially at corner. Where I'm more concerned about that matchup is at the linebacker level, where we've seen a lot of covering grass, and to some extent, at the safety level. We didn't really give up anything huge last year. And we haven't given up much this year, but we have seen a few times, especially recently, where a safety hasn't gotten over the top when he's supposed to be bracketing a guy or has gotten pulled out of position and has left like the deep middle open. Ohio State's going to make you pay for that, and they're going to make you pay for that big. And even though I think the defense overall is probably a little bit better, I mean, statistically, it's certainly better. There are a couple things there that with Ohio State's passing game, I still feel a little uneasy. I, we, we did see Michigan adjust to it last year and do a lot of different things in zone coverage. Also got a lot of pass rush, which we're going to talk about more <laughs> in, in a minute, but that's an area where I think with how good Ohio State's passing game is and with the the blips or certain you know issues that we've seen pop up from time to time, it's going to take a very good game from especially the linebackers and safeties to be able to play this game the way Michigan wants to play, which is going to be a lot of zone because even as good as Michigan's corners are, you're not going to man up against all those receivers. You're not going to put DJ Turner in single coverage on Marvin Harrison Jr. DJ no. Turner is good, but Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best receiver in the country. That's not a matchup you want.
0: We watched Don Brown do a lot of that, and it did not go well. It
1: did, and, and so, that's I mean that's part of the overhaul that Michigan has undertaken the last couple of years, right?
0: Yes, that's Our, why running. they fired Don Brown. I'm yes. pretty sure. And Mike
1: McDonald <laughs> has implemented this. Uh, you know, I mean, Mike McDonald last year implemented this zone-heavy system with a lot of, like, cover three, cover seven type of stuff. And they've carried that over this year. And this is going to be the first really big test of that. I mean, there hasn't been a passing game, anything like this, that we've seen this year. Maybe Maryland? The closest is definitely Maryland. And they held up pretty well in that game. But Maryland doesn't have Ohio State's guys. They have really good players all around. But Talia Tagalog isn't C. CJ Stroud and Dante Dimas isn't Marvin Harrison Jr. So it's hard not to look at Ohio State and... Like, unless Michigan has a Georgia-level secondary, I'd be looking at this saying, I'm scared of that. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at.
0: (laughs) And we absolutely should be. Next thing I feel bad about is pass rush, which I think was the thing that you were hinting at. Yeah, that ties in pretty nicely. Last year, Hutchinson and Ojabo were monsters in this game. They were absolutely monsters. They were monsters to the degree that Ohio State fans were, like, pretending like they're... Offensive tackles were like in quicksand, (laughs) like sinking into it with their feet. Stuff. His foot got caught in the turf. Guys, no, he just got (laughs) absolutely fucked by Aiden Hutchinson. (laughs) Stop it!
1: Just got put in a bucket by Aiden Hutchinson.
0: There. There is not a guy like that on this defense. There's no one like that on this defense. They're not a good pass rushing defense to this point.
1: Not on an individual level.
0: Not a, right. They, they can scheme it, but that's the point, is that they have to scheme it. They don't have natural pass rushers. And if they're going to scheme it by bringing in a linebacker or you know a corner blitz or something, right, that means there's an open spot. And if you don't get home, C.J. Stroud is going to find it. Yep. Period. He's going to find it. And we're going to have to do a little bit more gambling in the pass rush than we had to a year ago. And yeah, that, man, last
1: year it was mostly a four-man rush with yep. Hutchinson and or Ojabo creating the pressure, getting Shroud uncomfortable. They just beat
0: the their ball. guy. They right. just beat their guy quickly.
1: And this is not a team where you're going to have individual edge guys just blowing around the offensive tackles on the edge, getting into the backfield and forcing quick throws. Like you said, they just don't have that guy. So They don't have
0: it. And... C.J. Stroud is at his most pedestrian when he does not have time.
1: Big time. He does not have great feet. He panics a little bit when he gets pressure. This is a guy who does not see a lot of pressure. He gets to stand there and survey the field and find his uber-athlete receivers breaking free. Who
0: are open in like a half second because they're beating your shitty corner. Right. A million times out of a million.
1: If you get pressure, he's a totally different quarterback. If you don't, he's going to shred you. And that's... fair concern, given that we don't have a lot of the individuals. Again, I'm going to counterpoint a little bit here that we haven't seen the amoeba stuff in a while, right? We haven't seen a quarterback where we were particularly concerned about him being able to stand back there and survey the field, probably against Sean Clifford. Maybe Peyton Thorn to some extent. It's been a while since we saw Michigan break out the kind of exotic pass rushes with guys coming off the edge, guys dropping off the line. But zone. even
0: Thorne like even Thorn and and Clifford, what they did there was really that they like rushed one all the time. Like they really weren't. That
1: was very much containment.
0: Pass it rush. was contained pass rush because those dudes have legs. Stroud can move. I'm not saying he's not he's not Tom Brady. Stroud can move. But he doesn't have Clifford's quickness or Thorne's quickness. No. That's just not who he is as a quarterback. And he does. I mean, we saw them run the keeper for him in the Northwestern game that they kind of needed to put that one on, on ice. But yeah. so he has it in there. But he's not like a great scrambler, right? He's no, he's he not, not going to Caleb Williams you back there. Not. No, and He does so, not want to move
1: around a lot in the pocket as a passer.
0: Right. So, like, you need that. You need to be able to generate it. And I think the only – you know, you're talking about the amoeba stuff. And the amoeba stuff is all well and good. But it better fucking get home fast. Because if you're bringing guys from disguises and other places – if they don't get home fast, Stroud is going to find the spot you vacated. He's very good and he's going to find it. And it makes me nervous to not have the natural pass rush to defend on, to have to recreate the pressure that Ojabo and Hutchinson got naturally in the aggregate, like amongst yep. all of the rest of the players on the defense. And that makes me really nervous.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're going to have to scheme it up, and when they get guys coming free off the edge, they're going to have to, to make the plays or get Stroud to get rid of the ball. We haven't seen them super effective against anyone other than the really bad pass-protecting teams on the schedule, like being able to get home and finish plays. They're pretty good at collapsing the pocket. They're pretty good at, when they want to, drawing stuff up to get a guy in free, but you got to finish those plays. Totally. All right, last item on our list.
0: Ugh, the game is in Columbus.
1: It sure is, which we know what that means because we've, uh, we've, we've seen this film before.
0: Yeah, I'm absolutely sure that the officiating crew for this game is going to be like Zach Smith, Urban Meyer, and the ghost of Woody Hayes.
1: <laughs> that about sums it up, yeah.
0: Like, it's going to be so bad. We're getting absolutely fucked. I already know. Like, there's going to be absolute, at least one thing that happens in this game that, inf- that makes me want to punch a hole in a drywall.
1: I mean, we talked about earlier that the Big Ten officiating has not exactly been a, a beacon of of hope <laughs> this season, and uh, yeah, we know what happens in Columbus. I mean, given the issues that we were just talking about with Michigan's pass rush, like there are going to be times when a guy's trying to break feet to get into Stroud, and we're going to be infuriated because there's you know obvious holding going on that's not called, or you know Michigan gets a chance on a, a deep ball, something down the field where. There's all kinds of contact. We're not going to get the flight. Like, we're not going to get the 50-50 calls. And, frankly, I don't think we've gotten them for most of the year. I was going to say, I don't think we get them at
0: home either.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it might not be that much of a difference. But, you know, when it's Michigan and Ohio State and you're talking about, you know, what's probably going to be an extremely competitive game where, like, any play could be the deciding factor. And you know it's going to be a shit show. Like, I'm already just bracing myself for that in, in my soul that, like, I'm gonna to wanna to throw things and I'm gonna to try to abstain from that because I should know better. I should know what's coming.
0: Yeah, I mean I just said I was gonna punch a drywall like a full like toxic bro, <laughs> like I'm going to punch drywall. So I'm not better than you and I'm not meant I'm not mentally stable enough for this. I'm not prepared. It's gonna suck. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> Is it? I don't know. I'm be. trying. It could be fun. It could be fun. Well, and transition speaking, to like I was going to say, speaking butter. of the things that could make it fun, very smooth transition.
1: We're so professional. We're
0: so good at this. The run game. My number one thing is that I do feel confidence in the run game. I know Ohio State's defense is supposed to be improved, and they are. They're definitely improved. I don't, I don't think that's debatable. I am very skeptical that they are improved enough to actually really bottle up this run game. And my evidence of that is that better defenses than Ohio State's have not done it this year. Like we said, I, I think Penn State has a better run defense than Ohio State. I think Iowa probably has a better run defense than Ohio State. And Illinois might have a better run defense than Ohio State. And before Corum went out in the Illinois game and in all of the other games I just mentioned, it's five-plus yards a carry. Like, it's nobody's business. Yeah, I mean,
1: Iowa was about five-and-a-half yards a carry. Like you said, Corum, before Quorum went out against Illinois, which is maybe the like right up there with best run defenses in the country, that, them and Iowa both, it was six yards a carry for Quorum, 108 yards on 18 carries. And if you go back to Penn State, I mean, obviously, that was an absolute shredding. That was 7.6 yards a carry. Like you said, we've not seen anybody come close to not even stopping but really containing Michigan's offense or holding it to anything less than... About five a carry.
0: I mean, Indiana might have been the closest to doing that, right? Indiana kind yeah. of bottled it up, and JJ had to go win it, which he did because it was Indiana. But right. like, he had what 320 yards passing in that game. That was definitely a, a game where the passing took it on. But Indiana played that with absolutely reckless abandon. I mean, they're like they're run blitzing on every fucking play. Right, with corners
1: and, off the edge, and part of the reason that Ohio you can State's do that, not going to
0: play that this way. No, they don't have to because they're not fucking Indiana. The thing is,
1: even if they wanted to, as we talked about before, Michigan wasn't taking that game very seriously. When you, like, erase JJ's legs from the run game voluntarily, you can blitz corners off the edge and know that it doesn't matter because Michigan's not really going to fill behind you. And it wasn't until the second half when Michigan was like, all right, I guess we kind of got a game here. We can't just run the vanilla stuff. They opened it up in the passing game and said, if you're going to blitz corners and play like this, we're just going to beat you in the air. But... Again, I I keep stressing this, and maybe we just roll right into this after this, but that's not the game Michigan is going to play against Ohio State. It's just not. They're not going to call the game the same way offensively. JJ's legs are going to be a factor. He's going to get probably seven to ten carries, probably some in high leverage situations. Like, those things are just going to be there. And when you take what Michigan is already doing in the run game, where, you know, like, The Iowa game, the Illinois game, where even without much in the way of J.J., they were still against better run defenses than Ohio State, putting up five and a half, six plus yards a carry. Once you fully activate J.J., then you get stuff like the Penn State game, where it's just an obliteration. Because, I mean, twice in that game, there were situations where Michigan ran something like the double arc we were talking about earlier, right, where two tight ends pull around. And that's not something we've seen the rest of the year. Both times they ran that in the Penn State game, it was one iffy block from one of those tight ends from being a touchdown.
0: Because oh. they, they had
1: the, it was blocked all the way to the safety. And if those guys hold their blocks for one second longer, J.J.'s gone. And when you do that, and then Penn State starts reacting to it with a safety or a linebacker sitting outside, looking, holding out there in case J.J. keeps the ball, then you get Coram or Edwards one-on-one with a safety 20 yards downfield. We've seen them do that. And I I guess I'm with you in saying that until we see somebody do better than that, it's kind of hard to believe or like there's really no reason to believe that it's going to happen. And maybe Ohio State can, maybe their defense is that improved, but they haven't seen anything close to Michigan's run game this year. So... Like we were saying earlier, if Michigan can run for five, five and a half, six yards a carry, they don't probably need that much from the passing game. And that's been their recipe all, all year. And we're going to find out if Ohio State is actually improved or if beating up on Toledo and Notre Dame's shitty offense at the beginning of the year. and you know, shit I mean, even against Penn State and Indiana, like they've given up some chunk yards to teams that, again, are a lot worse than Michigan on the ground. So, again, I'm just not really believing it until I see it.
0: And that kind of flows right into what I think is the next thing, which is I think Michigan is better in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Now, the defensive line, as I discussed in the bad part of the discussion, is really a pretty good run-defending defensive line. They were a little shaky against Illinois, especially in the second half. Chase Brown was making some stuff happen, and they were ripping off kind of chunk plays. But again... There are parts of that game where our linebackers aren't in. Mike Morris doesn't play. The overwhelming majority of the evidence is even against better rushing attacks than Ohio State's, which is the other critical factor here, that the defensive line is going to hold up in the trenches in that respect. Ohio State doesn't run the ball very much, so our defensive line's kind of strength is a little bit negated. But our offensive line, I think, is is very, very good at mashing people. No question about, I think that's an advantage. I think the trenches are an advantage to Michigan. The only thing I have reservations about in the trenches is that I think we're going to be dealing with a better pair of ends than we have seen all year. I think JTT and Harrison. Yeah. And Harrison. Thank you for helping me with that pronunciation. I didn't want to botch it. (laughs) But – and Harrison are very good. I think our tackles will mostly be fine. But – and I think in in general the advantage is Michigan in the trenches. I have a little bit of reservation about the tackles and and those ends. But in general, I feel pretty good about that.
1: Yeah, that's probably more of a potential pass protection issue in that those guys are – I mean, Ohio State, as they do with receivers, they have, like, three top five overall recruits, at defensive end, between Harrison, Tuioma. Tui Moluau and Jack Sawyer it's interesting because they don't have very big sack numbers they're not really doing all that much in the way of actually producing sacks but when you have athletes like that and they can get a decent amount of penetration collectively they also have Michael Hall Jr. who's a pretty like he's kind of broken out this year at defensive tackle kind of a a penetrating guy who I I think actually leads the team in sacks with uh, four and a half but they don't have anybody actually who has more sacks than Mike Morris so it's going to be an interesting test from an athletic standpoint, and those guys trying to get around the edge. And like you said, Michigan hasn't really seen much of that this year. But if you're talking about ability to run the ball between the tackles, huge advantage to Michigan on both sides of the ball because we've seen Ohio State try to do that. We mentioned um, Northwestern and Penn State. I mean, the Northwestern game was a, a weather shit show, obviously, and Ohio State basically couldn't throw the ball. And so they, tr- like, they were trying to line up and run. And they could not run on Northwestern. I think three times in that game they got stopped on fourth and short. Like, we want to run. You know we want to run. Even against Northwestern, they could not move. They could not impose their will on Northwestern. Yeah. And the same basically held true against Penn State. I mean, Penn State only had 111 rushing yards in that game. Some of that is sacks counting against. But they averaged about uh, between 3.5 and and 4 yards a carry on the ground on on straight-up run plays. So it's not like Penn State shredded Ohio State's defense. But also against that Penn State rush defense that Michigan absolutely took to the woodshed, Ohio State had 26 carries for 98 yards. Right. Not a particularly impressive showing. Again, about th- between three and a half and four yards a carry. Like when they've gone up against a defense that has any degree of physicality and can really stop you from running the ball when they know you want to run the ball, they have shown zero ability to do it. Yeah. And Michigan is, again, a better defensive line than both, especially against the run. Michigan is one of the elite run defenses in the country. So that's just, I think, unequivocally an advantage for Michigan. There's also the injury situation Ohio State is dealing with. We've got our running back outages or or potentially, like, we don't know what the situation is with Corum or Edwards or, you know, whether they're going to be 60%, 80%, close to 100%. Like, we don't know. Ohio State's in the same boat. I mean, Mayan Williams did not play this last week after uh, having a, a, a lower leg injury a couple weeks ago where he kind of landed on his knee funny and twisted his ankle at the same time. Unclear what his status is going to be. Trevion Henderson did come back. He had missed a couple games. Didn't look particularly good. Had a couple, not only physically, but also like had a couple plays where he had opportunities and tried to break it outside. I just like, don't just think his
0: vision is very good. Like he
1: doesn't look like him. He doesn't look like he looked last year. Their running game right now is just kind of a struggle all around with the running back situation and the offensive line, where they basically throw out five offensive tackles and say we are optimizing the better part of our game, which is the passing game, and we're going to take the hit on the running game and hope that it doesn't matter. And that's a decision you can make, and for the most part, it works pretty well for them. But again, this is definite advantage, Michigan.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: Next up, and we already talked about some of this. I don't know that we need to elaborate a whole lot more, but it's just, I can't emphasize it enough that I think the offense, especially that we have seen over the last month for Michigan, is not at all indicative of what's going to happen in this game. We talked about what we saw against Penn State with JJ on the ground, right? Where you had several design carries, the the double arcs with the tight ends pulling around. They also ran a, a third down, Uh, essentially a quarterback counter, like something back from the Denard days where you've got him in shotgun and he kind of pumps like he's going to throw and then you have a pulling lineman coming around and sealing the outside so he can go straight up the middle off, like uh, kind of uh, through the guard gap. And like that's legit designed run stuff with an athlete at quarterback. And again, we haven't seen any of that for at least a month. We haven't really seen any of it since Penn State.
0: I will say it doesn't sound super reassuring to be like the thing we feel good about is that this fake bad offense that we've seen for a month is not going to show up to this game like that doesn't really feel like an advantage, but I I understand why it is. But like when I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh, man, do I just sound like a delusional moron when I'm like this bad offense that we've been seeing for a month is fake that's not really who we are it's fake guys it just I, I, I feel yeah. like I'm in denial a little it doesn't feel like a strength but I again it, it's not blind hope we've seen it we've right. literally seen this team run those plays and it's
1: been very 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 clear this year when they take a team seriously JJ's legs are activated and the offense looks different and when they don't they just try to run vanilla grounds I mean they, they have a good sort of suite of stuff that they do on the ground with pulling linemen, different gaps, you know, stuff that looks like other stuff. But that's kind of the base stuff still. And they've got all base for about six weeks. And yeah. when you get back to what we saw against Penn State, I mean, again, that's that's a game where they average seven yards a play against one of the better defenses in the Big Ten. And you can go back to the Iowa game where they averaged like six yards a play against Maybe the best defense in the country. SP Plus best defense in the country. You could argue that Big Ten West draft. I don't down, buy
0: it. I don't buy it.
1: But that is unequivocally a top-five defense.
0: Yeah, the there's no question it's a top-five defense, but it's not the number-one defense.
1: And a better defense than Ohio State. And I think the same is true for Illinois. And we didn't see as much of that against Illinois because Michigan didn't really care about the outcome of the game. right? They didn't care enough about like putting Quorum back out there in the second half or playing any of the guys we talked about them holding out. There is just very clearly a box where everything has been put into all of the the stuff that they want to break out when it matters that's sitting somewhere and it says do not open until
0: ohio state please unwrap on november 26th
1: exactly they're going to unwrap that box and you're going to see the jj run game like i said i think he's going to have seven to ten design carries in this game you're going to see rpos we haven't seen a bubble screen in probably a month
0: well didn't they run the they ran one to quorum didn't they like, they ran it a running wasn't back screen. It was really
1: a bubble screen. It was more of, like, a flare to the yeah. running back. But I'm talking about, like, an RPO where, okay, linebacker or slot guy is cheating in. I'm going to pull from Coram's belly, and I'm going to fling it out to Roman Wilson or Ronnie Bell or whoever it is in the slot. And we're going to take a chunk of free yards. We haven't seen that since before Michigan State. Like, all of this stuff that was kind of... You know, the the wrinkles that they use to take advantage of what teams were doing to try to stop the run game, it's all in that box. We know it's there. Like you said, it's not blind hope because we've seen it. We saw it early in the year. We saw them rep stuff and it was like, okay, we're kind of figuring out what Michigan is. And then all of a sudden they snapped the line and they said, we're saving everything for Ohio State for the next month. That's just very clearly what happened. So the offense, I just don't think, is going to look similar. I'm not saying that the receivers are going to suddenly be able to make catches that they've been struggling, you know, get separation.
0: Everybody but... is Randy Moss.
1: <laughs> that would be great.
0: That would be so cool. Is Nico
1: Collins back on campus? Give me
0: Randy Moss at <laughs>
1: everywhere. I think that holds true for both the run game and the pass game to some extent. Like that zone, re- or the, uh, excuse me, the RPO stuff, the play action. where, Like for the last month, Michigan, almost their exclusive play action pass is... JJ under center running a waggle with a receiver flaring out at like 15 yards and a tight end flaring out into the flat. Like that's the play action pass. And we know there's much more. We saw much more early in the year. Like we know it's there. And I don't think it's a coincidence. No,
0: I I know. I know it's actually there. It just sounds really dumb to be like, our advantage is the bad offense we've been running is fake. (laughs) Like I i i get it i understand it it's just hard to really think about that in an advantage way because you just sound delusional <laughs> and like <laughs> i guess I get we'll why find out it's if not. We're delusional yeah we're gonna find out if if maybe they have like three
1: carries and they run for 3.8 yards a carry and maybe all were of the, delusional. And they don't, don't run any rpl like yeah maybe all of that stuff just somehow like fell out of the playbook at mid-season and it was a complete coincidence i think that's very unlikely
0: so no, you're right. I think I just the offense don't. is going
1: to look a lot... There's going to be a lot more stuff there in terms of JJ's legs, RPOs, play-action passes. There's, there's absolutely stuff that we know is in the book that's going to come out.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Next, I think this is kind of a weird thing to point out because they're still so freaking good. But Ohio State's receivers are, I think, collectively worse than last year's. That's not a knock. It would be really hard to be better than last year's, right?
1: I mean, last year they had two top 15 overall picks in the draft, and maybe their slot guy, who was a freshman, was better than both of them and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Right. I mean, that's one of the best receiving cores in modern college football history.
0: Right. So it's not a knock. It's not a knock. But... I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is, of course, the standout here. And I think he, on the high end, might be better than Wilson or Olave were last year. But... I think the drop off after Marvin Harrison Jr. is greater than the drop off was. I think like, oh, for sure. Basically, all three of Ohio State's receivers were of like equal quality of totally fucking horrifying last year. Yeah, I mean, and they this year <laughs> they I don't owned feel the that way.
1: First team All America team, right? With Ohio State guys, yes. if they wanted
0: to. And this year I don't feel that way. I think it's Marvin Harrison, and I think after that, Jackson Smith and Jigba hasn't played since
1: since the Notre Dame game,
0: no, week one.
1: And the the quotes from Ryan Day on the. I mean, I know people keep saying, like, well, he he, he could come back. It sounds like hes it, it's not a definitive thing that his the season is The quotes
0: are giving sandbagging, but I think re, the reality of it is he wants us to have to prepare like there's a possibility that JSN will play regardless of whether he does or doesn't.
1: He keeps saying things like,
0: we're hopeful
1: that he'll be able to come back at some point. It does not sound to me very likely that he's actually going to play. And I've made this point before, but to me, I, I don't think you can... Sit a guy on the shelf for three months since the Notre Dame game, taking no live reps, and expect that he's going to actually be impactful. Unless been he's been
0: secretly for, taking live reps in Ohio State's practice, like I, all does, the time. It doesn't matter.
1: Even if he's been running live reps in Ohio State practice, that's not the same as in a game. I just, I'm not buying that he can be a serious factor in this game after not playing for three months. And on top of that, I don't think he will play. The quotes have been very hopeful. I wouldn't be surprised if he suits up and they maybe throw him out there once or twice as like a Let's get him out there and, you know, let him run a play. Kind of like the quorum second half carry for Michigan against Illinois, where it's like, we want to give him a chance to be on the field for a play.
0: That to me looked, looked more like a decor. symbol to us that, like, he's okay. Yeah, like, he right. went back on the field, and they they were like, hello, br- br- exhale. Right, I don't <laughs> exhale, think it was necessarily the same,
1: the same reason, but I think that it will turn out to be similar in that if he's out there for a play, it'll be largely symbolic.
0: But I think, yeah, like overwhelmingly I would say, I think they're receiving core while still very, very, very good. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish how good they are. You can be very, 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 very good and still be a little worse than what Michigan had to cover last year. And I, I do think that's the case. Okay. I think overall the quality is not that good. So behind, um, behind Marvin Harrison –
1: they have a Ibuka as right. the number two guy, and he has numbers that are about 80% of what Harrison has in terms of catches and yards. I mean, he's had a very good year statistically, but I don't think even Ohio State fans or, frankly, coaches would disagree, or even CJ Stroud, for that matter, about the quality of receivers because it's become very clear over the last month that anytime Ohio State needs a play, when it's third and six, CJ Stroud is locked on Marvin Harrison Jr. He's going to throw the ball at Marvin Harrison Jr. That's the guy he wants, and... It's not wrong because, frankly, most of the time he's so much better of an athlete than whoever's trying to cover him and is so good technique-wise and with his hands that it just doesn't matter. And throwing the ball to him, whatever the situation is, usually works out. But I think that's still indicative of when you're not really looking at the other guys that it tells you that there is a drop-off there, that Igbuka is not the difference maker that Harrison Jr. is. And once you get behind him, then it's Julian Fleming and a couple other guys who have played a little. It's guys who don't look like they're fully there yet.
0: Right. That, to me, feels like an overall downgrade for them from having from Michigan having the very tall task of having to deal with Wilson, Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigba last year. Agreed. I feel a little better about that. Because maybe if the pass rush can't get home in the way that Hutch and Ojabo were able to last year – the secondary will be able to hold up longer because I just don't think those dudes are as good as last year's dudes overall. Right. This may be a situation. I could be wrong. That's, but that's my, that's (laughs) my gut feeling. They, they could make me look real fucking stupid. Chris Olave made me look real fucking stupid in 2018, the one time. So I, you know, it's possible.
1: Yeah. And I do think that you'll see Michigan um, perhaps doing a little bit of what they did against Michigan state. When Keon Coleman was was going Randy Moss mode, like with Harrison Jr., you might be able to afford to bracket him, like put a safety over the top and say we're functionally going to double cover him on every play. And if you want to throw, you know, say you want to throw Gem and Green and a safety over the top, and then say we're going to take our chances that those two can take away Marvin Harrison, and then DJ Turner can take take away a Mecca Ibuka. Maybe you do play a little bit more man in that scenario if you've got help over the top on Harrison.
0: I'm very scared of man. <laughs> or or you play more zone, or you
1: just play more zone, and you shade to Harrison's side. You know, you you bring somebody down, and like a, a robber from the safety level, uh, opposite Harrison, and you say, "We're not going to let you take something short underneath here and, and easy." You're going to have to throw downfield into double coverage if you want to throw to Marvin Harrison. Like they have options if we're right about Ohio State's guys being as big of a drop off as we think, and about C.J. Shroud being as reluctant. To throw to those guys as he is to Harrison Jr. when it gets into we need to convert situations. Because that's what it's looked like for a while. And maybe that won't hold up against Michigan. Maybe they'll, you know, do some tendency breakers or, like you said, maybe, (laughs) you know, Julian Fleming will have his Chris Olave game and we'll all be haunted by the name of Julian Fleming for years to come. But I I think it's fair to say that the receiving core is not collectively at the level it was last year and that. With Michigan's corners and and hopefully with their secondary overall, they'll be able to, uh, I guess, perform at a similar level to what they did last year, even if we've seen a little bit of shakiness at times this year.
0: And then my last thing that I feel good about is, and we kind of talked about this a little bit when we talked about the fact that I think the trenches are an overall advantage for Michigan, but Ohio State's run game is just not very good. And it's just, it's not that hard well, I won't say it's not that hard. Ohio State's passing attack is hard to defend, no matter what. But it is much harder to defend a a team that's very multiple. And Ohio State's a little one-dimensional because they can't run the ball. They they don't. And it's not even that they can't. They they can't. But they also don't want to.
1: Correct. Ryan Day does not want to run the ball. They three don't
0: want again. to. They just don't.
1: And Jim Harbaugh have philosophically. <laughs>
0: they pull, they really are, are like fundamental on. foils, yes. like for each other in every way. They they just want to play this game entirely differently, and I think, it, you know, I won't say it makes it easier. It may, it might make it easier to defend Ohio State's receiving core if you don't if you feel like you can plug up the run with just like your four defensive linemen and no other help. Yeah, right.
1: And I think they will. I mean, Michigan, I think will try to play it that way. They're going to have their their four guys, and and maybe it's a combination of four different guys if they're running amoeba type stuff up front. But I think it's mostly going to be. For defensive linemen or defensive lineman ish guys and Junior Colson and or Michael Barrett in the box. like It's going to be about five guys in the box on any given play. They're going to say, if you want to run into this and see if you can get four or five yards and you want to keep trying to do that, we're going to let you because I don't think Ryan Day wants to do that. And I don't think Michigan is particularly afraid of Ohio State gashing them on the ground repeatedly given that they don't want to do it and they haven't really shown the ability to do it.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. So on the whole, I think that's something that I feel good about. On the other hand, you could argue that Michigan is equally one-dimensional just in the total opposite yep. way, right? So like I said, diametrically opposed. These are like, this is this is like, these the, are the yin and yang biblical of the- foils. <laughs> they're like, they're just really out here trying to be the polar opposite of each other in every way.
1: I also think there's like an, an underlying theme here around Ohio State's running back situation. And if Williams is... I mean, it's pretty obvious Williams is not fully healthy after the injury he suffered a couple of weeks ago. But with Williams not fully healthy and with Trevion Henderson apparently not fully healthy and looking kind of shaky even when he has been getting back into action over the last few weeks, I I find it unlikely that Ohio State is going to put the ball consistently in the hands of uh, the guy who's been stepping into that role, which is Dallin Hayden. I will say, admittedly, I think he's looked... More effective. Yeah, it was annoying Henderson.
0: to watch him in the Maryland game and go, oh, that guy looks, like, serv- like not even serviceable. Like, good. He's a little threatening.
1: It, it, he is. He's a much different style because he looks like he's kind of a, a just put his foot in the ground and run fast, mostly upfield. And, frankly, that's kind of what Ohio State needs. Like, they don't – they're not going to hold up and move the pile in a way where, like – given the offensive line setup, it's just a different setup and a different way that they need to be able to run the ball than what you see from Michigan. He's looked effective. But if that's the case where it's, you know, you're you're down to your third string guy, a guy who's gotten a a whopping total of 100 carries this year, I I don't know. I I don't see Ryan Day really putting the ball in his hands consistently and, and him being able to do what we haven't really seen anybody do to Michigan this year, which is consistently gash them. Illinois was the best we've seen. And again, that was kind of a, a mishmash of, of Michigan players, right, with some guys being held out or, or rotated out for keeping them fresh for next week. And also, Chase Brown is one of the uh, three, four, five best running backs in the country. Like, Dallin Hayden is not that. So I, I do think Michigan is going to try to play this straight up in the box and say, we're going to put five guys here, and if you want to try to run against that, then take your chances. And uh, And frankly, I don't think that's going to be super effective. It's going to be a question of, does Ohio State want to do it? And can they do it enough to make Michigan commit another guy to the box? And if so, then that changes things in the passing game. So there's some balance there, and, and we're going to find out what, uh, you know, h- how Ryan Day feels, I guess, about their inability to run the ball and his willingness to do so against the Michigan defense that's one of the best run defenses in the country.
0: Uh, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. I, like, don't even want to think about it anymore. It's <laughs> fucking Sunday. <laughs> like, My God, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna make it.
1: Yeah, we're recording this on Sunday night, and it's we're we're very clearly already into the like the, the dread stage, and it's uh, it's still what five and a half days to go.
0: How like I'm you know on the one hand, I don't love this being Thanksgiving week just because like. Um, You know, you're supposed to be, like, spending time with your family and and enjoying the holiday. And, like, I spend the entire holiday filled with existential dread. Of course. On the other hand, it is probably better than having to pretend – to be productive at work this week. Oh, I would be an absolute shit show on Thursday and Friday. Like no chance. I'm paying
1: attention to anything. To anything. Like, so it's for the best for me, really.
0: That, but I, well, right. I'm basically
1: done after two and a half
0: days this week. Well, right. Like two and a half days is the most I can commit to my job this week. I got to tell you guys, it's it's not happening. I'm gonna be like, you know, having nightmares about Julian Fleming at starting on, like, Tuesday night, and Lord help me, I, it's not going to work.
1: If you're having nightmares about Julian Fleming, it's only going to get worse from there, I feel I'm like.
0: having nightmares about everyone, Bestie, everyone. That was on the good
1: side of things, remember?
0: <laughs> no. Yeah. I Man, I do want to take the opportunity, though, to just kind of – we talked about this before we recorded the Illinois Preview episode and Nebraska Recap episode, but just, you know, that I have never as a fan – seen Michigan get to 10 and 0 and I definitely have not seen Michigan get to 11 and 0 as a result and here we are I want to say enjoy it and it almost sounds hypocritical to say enjoy it because I am not fucking enjoying it right <laughs> now I am shitting bricks but like
1: but you should I mean you should you look should. back on this season I mean this is probably the best Michigan team since at least 2006 maybe longer and Eleven and zero is is something that is meaningful. Like this is the first time in modern history that Michigan has gone eleven and zero, or I'm sorry, that we, Michigan has won eleven games in back to back seasons. Right, the last time, time was 1902. Years, yeah, right. We're we're going way
0: back. Every all football like prior to integration doesn't count. That's yeah. That's that's my uh, opinion. A pretty fair
1: take, honestly. Which
0: is like Michigan fans don't like to hear that because it means like all of our national championships don't count. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like, <laughs> seriously, though, it, it really is a remarkable feat. And I'm and sitting here today, like, no matter
1: what happens against Ohio State, I feel like this is going to be – this is a similar situation to how I felt going into Georgia last year, which is just, even if we lose this game, like, you shouldn't let it take away from how good this team has been for the last three months. Like, this is a great team. Again, probably the best team since at least 2006 and one that, as hard as it is to believe sometimes we're watching in the first half and it's like, oh, this offense is pulling teeth or whatever, like, this is up there with Ohio State and Georgia as, like, an actual national title contender if things fall right. And if they don't, like, it's fucking hard to win a national title. Like, there are a lot of good teams that don't get to win a national title. And maybe Michigan ends up there because they can't get past... The, the boss at the end of the schedule this year, the way they did last year, with a team that had some some talent shortcomings and wasn't all the way there. But if that happens, my moment of zen, I guess, is that I, I'm I'm kind of Rose Bowl-pilled, I guess. I was last year, too, honestly, and I am now as well, which is that there's probably three realistic outcomes here for Michigan. You win, and you go to the playoff, probably even if you lose the Big Ten championship game. I don't think a, a 12-1 Michigan or Ohio State, with that resume, is getting left out. So you win this game, you go to the playoff. Scenario two is you lose this game.
0: You maybe still go to the playoff. And you maybe
1: still go to the playoff. If USC loses, you probably still go to the playoff. Scenario three is you lose this game, you don't get in because USC wins out or or whatever, and you end up, like, number five or number six, and you go to the Rose Bowl. And Michigan hasn't been to a Rose Bowl since 2004. And that's the... like. Maybe I'm old, but like... You are old. Fine, I'm old. But also, the Rose Bowl is the most beautiful, most iconic setting in college football. And if that's our worst case scenario right now, sitting here at 11-0, and 0, going into Armageddon 2.0, it's kind of hard for me to feel like that much existential dread. When I kind of zoom like zoom out, look at the whole picture of what this team was two years ago and where it is now, what we accomplished last year, what we've accomplished this year, Like, just appreciate it a little bit this week before you die. That's all I ask.
0: (laughs) Appreciate. No, I think that's right. And I think the only thing that would make me feel real existential dread, like, you know, we're all nervous. We're all, it's like that, that nervous, excited stomach is like, I've got butterflies, all of it. The nerves, the, it's all here. The only thing that would make me feel true existential dread is if it went down like 2018, where I was like, oh, fuck, we had them last year and now we're a million miles behind (laughs) again. Like, how does this keep happening? I think that's the only thing that could really spoil it. I also don't think that's particularly likely.
1: I also think even if that happens, from what I've seen of Michigan this year, I don't think I would feel the same way. Like I, I don't think I'll feel even if Michigan loses this game in like quasi blowout fashion, which I, I totally agree. I think that's very unlikely. But even if it were to happen, from what I've seen from Michigan over the last two years, I don't think I would feel like, oh god, we're so far behind Ohio State again. Like you could lose a game in decisive fashion and not be that far behind. That like Tennessee lost by a million points to South Carolina. It doesn't mean they're behind South Carolina the program. Like sometimes that just happens. And after the last two years. I think Michigan is is close to Ohio State's level, and nothing that happens Saturday is going to change that. But also, fuck that. Win go, the game. Go blue. Yeah. <laughs> Play to win the, the game. game. Do the whole damn thing again, because it's all on the table this year. Like, if Michigan gets past Ohio State, the only team that I think Michigan would be not a favorite against in the college football playoff would be Georgia. And like I said before, every advanced metric says Michigan was, is within shouting distance of Georgia this year in a way they weren't last year. Like, if Michigan gets past Ohio State, everything is on the table. So go win the game and let's see where it takes us. That's it.
0: I want a version of the James Earl Jones intro where they hoist that dumb college football playoff trophy <laughs> instead of the Big oh, Ten trophy. Man. God. championship football
1: oh my god I'm speaking Brings it into existence to my just thinking about it
0: <laughs> I mean it's possible though it, is. it really That's is right. the gap between us and the top 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 of the sport is smaller than it was a year ago and some of that is that Georgia's worse like Georgia's not a whole bunch of
1: Michigan's better than Alabama like Michigan has taken a significant step forward to be on that level we're a, a, I read out the SP plus numbers earlier we're like a full touchdown more than a full touchdown better than the team last year and that team, we went and played Georgia, and we knew this is probably not going to go. It's, like, it's going to take a, a lot to go right for Michigan to hang in this game, and it didn't. And it was pretty clear what the, the general status of those teams was. But again, that's not the case this year. So if you get past Ohio State, there's a chance to do something real here. And so let's do it. Let's do it.
0: And with that, if you're still here, thank you for listening, and we will see you back for either an elated or despondent episode next week.
1: Go Blue.